Welcome to Bare Roots, the podcast that unearths the truth. Allegedly. We're your hosts. I'm Alina. And I'm Shannon. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bare Roots. Today, we are talking about reincarnation. And of course, we are a conspiracy theory podcast. We like to talk about, you know, whatever topics that includes that is under that umbrella, I should say. But reincarnation is technically, depending on your religion, maybe your philosophy, it may not be a conspiracy theory to you. This is actually a concept that we wanted to dive into this week. And we hope you guys learn a little bit about reincarnation, what religions believe in reincarnation, where did it come from, some stories about people who believe that they were reincarnated. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff. So Shannon, how are you feeling today about today's episode? Feeling great. So researching the stories that we're going to talk about, I got chills multiple times. So I'm very excited to talk about it. Yeah, so good. I won't give it away, but the first story that we'll be sharing, I saw it on a YouTube video and I was just, it, it really is chilling. Like just thinking about these people's thoughts. I'm like, oh my gosh, it to me is really hard to disprove. But again, Mm. we'll get into it. And again, I think it's going to be super interesting because people believe in this stuff. It's again, not necessarily a conspiracy theory for some. That's right. Yeah. So we want to be respectful and make that clear. Yes, this is a part of some religions, maybe not so much in the Western world, but it still pops up in a few religions there and people who even are in, you know, Christian religions. I think we saw that 20 or 30% of people who Mm -hmm. are, who do identify as Christian also believe in reincarnation. So it's a big deal. Exactly. And so we're going to really dive into it and understand the ins and outs of reincarnation. Where did it begin? Where did this come from? And what do people think, not just the general population, but actual people who study this for a living? Right. So let's jump into it. So reincarnation literally means to take on the flesh again in Latin, which already a little spooky. That's the other thing about this. I I got a little (laughs) bit like, are we spooky season in May feelings? A little Uh bit. Uh Uh-huh. So discussion of the subject appears in the philosophical traditions of India and Greece from about 6th century BC. Even Plato talked about it. And it basically means the rebirth of an individual that persists after death, whether it be consciousness, mind, the soul, or some other entity you are living on Mm -hmm. after you die. And depending on the tradition, these existences may be, you know, you're going into another human, maybe an animal some spirit, or in some instances, even a vegetable. (laughs) Yeah, like anything goes. Anything goes. While the belief in reincarnation is most characteristic of South Asian and East Asian traditions, it can appear or has appeared in some ancient Middle Eastern religions as well. The major religions that believe in reincarnation are Hinduism, Jainism, Buddhism, Sikhism, all of which arose in India. Also, specifically in Hinduism, the process of birth and rebirth, also known as the transmigration of souls, is endless until one achieves liberation or moksha. 
and moksha is achieved when one realizes that the eternal core of the individual and the absolute reality are one. So then you can escape this cycle of death and birth, death and birth, death and birth, if you achieve moksha. I think a lot of people are aware that karma also plays a part in this belief and karma can be good or bad depending on what you do or the type of karma that you do you choose a subsequent birth so if one has done a lot of divine service and has a desire to do more service at the time of death his soul chooses a family that is supportive for this desire for a rebirth mm-hmm. so that's kind of like in a nutshell super fast quick bare bones reincarnation from a more east asian tradition exactly and i think when we hear about reincarnation and karma definitely the majority of what i think people think of is hinduism which plays a huge role and even for myself like when i think about karma like i definitely believe in it i think if you put out some good vibes good Mm -hmm. vibes will come your way as well and like the other way around so i think it's interesting how karma originated right from that religion from hinduism but has also translated into the western world where now it's just like a common word like it almost doesn't even feel like it's tied to a religious practice and belief yeah there were some researchers in the past and now who have really taken the time to dive into reincarnation beyond just like a religious belief could this be real is it true Someone who was interested and wanted to study this whole philosophy was a guy named Theodore Flournoy, and he was one of the first to, again, focus in on reincarnation, and he started his investigation slash research with a medium named Helen Smith, and his findings were published in 1900. Then there's another guy, Ian Stevenson, who is a psychiatrist from the University of Virginia. And again, he focused in on the scientific research of reincarnation, a little bit more modern, if you will, than Theodore. So he investigated many reports of young children who claimed to remember a past life. He conducted more than about 2,500 cases over the period of 40 years and published 12 books. So he is really well-versed in this. And I think that's really important because a lot of times when people talk about reincarnation and if they do remember it, it stems in children Mm -hmm. um, and that they have this memory versus adults. So what he did was he would methodically document each child's statements and then identify the deceased person the child identified with and verified the facts of the deceased person's life that matched the child's memory. And this part kind of like weirded me out because I had heard about this, but I didn't realize until researching this is the man who like started, I don't even want to say rumor, I guess his finding, but he also matched birthmarks and birth defects to wounds and scars on the deceased verified by medical records, such as autopsy photographs, which I don't know about you, Shannon, but did you ever hear like growing up? Oh, if you have a birthmark or something like that's where you got killed in your last life. Yeah. You just saying it just now kind of brings back a memory. I remember learning about reincarnation a few years ago in that regard, like the birthmarks and everything. But yeah, now that you're now that you mention it, I think like as a kid, other kids yeah. saying stuff like that. Yeah. And I had just kind of like, oh, it's just one of those 
old wives tale, you know, like I kind of like brushed it off. But again, once I did the research, I was like, oh, it came from this man. That's so interesting. <laughs> Do you have any birthmarks? Uh, no, I don't think so. I have, I don't know, permanent, more permanent freckles or mm-hmm. like more permanent, I guess they're moles, but they're not raised kind of dark freckles. Yeah. But that's, I don't think I have like a spot necessarily. I know. I was, I was thinking about myself and I'm like, I don't think so either. Similar to you. Like I have like prominent freckles on my body, but that's just like more developed from being in the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Than a past life. Exactly. So anyways, Stevenson searched for disconfirming evidence and alternative explanations from the reports definitely trying to do his due diligence and believe that his strict methods ruled out all possible quote normal explanation for the child's memories so he's trying to debunk however a significant majority of stevenson's reported cases of reincarnation originated in eastern societies where dominant religions often permitted the concept of reincarnation which i thought was kind of interesting yeah, so they're basically saying, not that they aren't real by any means, but just kind of like a caveat of a lot of these children came from societies that believed in reincarnation. So it's kind of, you know, you don't really know what the parents are telling the kids. Mm-hmm. They might misconstrued or, you know, from something that the kids said, or since they already believe in it, they automatically point to it. Exactly. So it's like, could those seed have been planted beforehand? Arguably, maybe. Yeah. But skeptics of his work did suggest the claims of evidence um, for reincarnation originate from selective thinking and from false memories that often result from one's own belief system and basic fears and thus cannot be counted as strong evidence, which I just think is so funny because we literally just last week did an episode on Mandela effects and talking about false memories. So if you listen to that episode, you guys know what we're talking about. And yeah, so that is a little bit about some like famous researchers trying to prove, disprove this whole ideology. I don't know how he got funded to do all this work because it Mm -hmm. sounds like a pretty cool job. You're interviewing kids from all around the world and how do you get paid for that? I want to (laughs) know. Exactly. I wonder if he like, because it looks like he published 12 books. I wonder if one just took off. Mm -hmm. and he was able to just live off of it I don't know or if the university funded the research I don't know yeah exactly very interesting things so when I was looking into reincarnation I came across this little checklist that I thought was really funny so it says nine signs of a reincarnated soul and it felt very like "Ooh, take this quiz like this buzzfeed quiz (laughs) Uh, But it was it was from the Huffington Post. So I'm like, okay, it kind of has to be a little bit more reputable, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But then I looked up and Huffington Post was bought by BuzzFeed. So then I laughed. Um. (laughs) (laughs) It was definitely some millennial who created that article then. Right, right. But they interviewed a doctor. I, I think she's a psychologist. And she has experience and has also written books on reincarnation. So this is her nine tips for if you think somebody is reincarnated or if you think you yourself are reincarnated. So number one is the person left before their time. 
So if somebody died suddenly or tragically and they had unfinished business, they are more likely to kind of bounce into somebody else because they have to finish that business. Number two is language. So there were many cases where parents are astonished that a child can say words or sing songs in a foreign language without any indication of where that child might have learned such a skill. Harry Potter vibes, you know, but like make it a snake language. Right, right, right. Like parcel <laughs> tongue, you know, like yes. it, he was, <laughs> I mean, that's not wrong, Alina, because Harry Potter did have part of Voldemort's soul in him, kind of like Voldemort was reincarnated in Harry. Wow, you really got it. <laughs> I love how Harry Potter could really be tied into so many things. So many things. So many things. <laughs> Again, back to the language. The reincarnated soul may have known that way of speaking, and now they're in a new person who magically knows that way of speaking. Number three is mannerisms. So an easy way to detect a reincarnated soul is by simply similar gestures, like body language, a laugh, physical expressions, personality traits, basically, that carry over. This could be also like stubbornness, boldness, curiosity. They just seem to be like the person that has already passed on, even though they're in a different, they're at a different age or maybe even a different gender than they were before. Number four is physical characteristics. So that's kind of like what we were talking about before with the birthmarks, you know, mm-hmm. like, do they have this birthmark? Do they, that correlates to a wound that another person had? Do they look like the other person? Things like that. And number five is a little vague, <laughs> but it's just the eyes. They say the eyes are the windows to the soul. So are their eyes the same as the mm-hmm. person? Number six is coincidences of time. So she tells you to pay attention to divine timing because it's never a coincidence. The day, month, and year of every birth are picked carefully and hold tremendous meaning. So then, you know, you can go into your birth chart and get all the meaning from when you were born. But that also apparently has something to do with reincarnation as well. Mm -hmm. Number seven is that other sense it too. So other people may also feel the warmth, comfort, and recollection of a soul they know before. And they they may point out an uncanny resemblance to the person who has passed. Mm Mm-hmm. Number eight is prone to the same situations. So they might be, the person that's born again might be born under similar circumstances or have to live through events parallel with the previous life, but with different results. So especially if it has something to do with their unfinished business. So say there was a car crash, maybe the reincarnated soul survives a car crash. And they kind of conquered what got them before. And then number nine is they finally fill the void. So, you know, if you may suffer certain emptiness since your loved one left and nothing has been able to fill it, not even all of the love you get from everybody else in your life. But when this person was born, it was like that void was filled up with this person's presence. Mm -hmm. And that could mean that that person was reincarnated. So many interesting things. One story I was thinking about was Kim Kardashian. 
<laughs> and her youngest son, actually her youngest kid, Sam, he, there was something, I can't remember if it was on the TV show or if it was on Instagram, but two people came up to her and was like, this is your, he is going to be your father, like reincarnated. That's just so interesting. And I wouldn't really have taken too much thought to it, but the fact that she said two people said it in like total, I'm like, that is quite interesting. Hmm. I always think that's weird when it's like a parent, the role is completely reversed. Yeah. So it was your parent and now you think it's your kid. It's like, wow, you're taking care of your dad. Yeah. As a baby. Yeah. It's a weird concept. That's a weird concept. But yes, those are the nine signs that you may have a reincarnated soul or you may know somebody who has a reincarnated soul. So be on the lookout. You know, this is kind of that was kind of like a BuzzFeed article. I do have to admit. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) be on the lookout. But before we get into the stories, let's go to the ads. And we're back. So we're going to start off with one story. Actually, Shane and I are going to both share two stories that we found that are quite interesting. The first story is about a man or boy, I should really say. Well, he is a man, right? Named James Leininger. This is actually a pretty popular story that I had heard of, kind of inspired us to even do this whole podcast episode. And we're going to talk about specific stories and thoughts from the University of Virginia, which is actually quite interesting because that is the university that Ian Stevenson was at. Yeah. So it all comes full circle. Virginia is just like on it. <laughs> they are. I wonder if they have a whole reincarnation program. I know. I'm now I'm really curious. Um, so let's dive into James. So James is the son of Bruce and Andrea. And they're a Protestant couple um, from Louisiana. So a little bit about baby James. Beginning at the age of two, he made statements and demonstrated behaviors that suggested he remembered a life of an American pilot killed during World War II. And apparently it was a young man and his name was James M. Houston Jr. Or Huston Jr., I should say. And so he kind of claimed to have some sort of connection to this guy which is also ironic because they're both, their names are James. Mm -hmm. The case had garnered significant attention. As I mentioned earlier, I had heard about this. um, As the Lingers told their story in several television interviews and eventually wrote a book about their experiences. So James had made a bunch of statements before the pilot Huston was identified. In some cases, a person is identified before the child starts making statements, which obviously clouds how accurate they are. But the best cases have statements before a reincarnated soul is identified. Although the case has the weakness that James' father was the one who worked to identify the previous personality, the substantial documentation that is available suggests a striking similarity between James' statements, right, baby James, and the details of the life of one particular pilot. So a little bit about James. James Langinger was born on April 10th, 1998, and they recorded the first noticeable incident Um, in 2000 when he was just about 22 months old, as we mentioned earlier. 
So a little backstory, his father took him to the Kavanaugh Flight Museum outside of Dallas as they were living in Texas at the time. And James was just fascinated by all the planes and in particular the World War II exhibit. And when they left after like three hours, James had some toy planes as well as a video called It's Kind of a Magic About the Blue Angels, the Navy Flight's exhibition team. And James loved that video and he watched it repeatedly for weeks. And I feel like, you know, this is important to know where you're like, okay, a boy being interested in planes is not necessarily out of the ordinary, especially, you know, the history of like World War II. I think so many people, even adults are like captivated by it. So, you know, to be so young, it it doesn't really strike anything crazy. So the trip and the video started to uncover his love for planes, which again, very normal. And this passion may have led to some of the knowledge of planes and flying that James often surprised his parents of voicing. So he would talk all about it, but they kind of just assumed it was this passion that he had, this fascination with planes. So the video, however, was clearly not the source of James' information about World War II since the Blue Angels group was founded in 1946 after the war had ended so it's kind of hard to say how had he known a little bit about some like world war ii stuff so because he loved it so much james and his father made a second trip to the museum later that spring on memorial day weekend and he grew quiet in the hangar that housed the world war ii aircraft and within two months of the first trip james developed a habit of saying airplane crash on fire and slamming his toy planes nose first into a family's coffee table and again using imagination and all that again not out of the ordinary and james father actually traveled a lot and when james and his mother would see him off at the airport james would often say daddy airplane crash on fire this happened repeatedly despite his father's admonishments Around this time, James began having nightmares and his behavior during them seemed to have involved only screams at first, but then included words as well. Airplane crash, airplane crash on fire, little man can't get out. He indicated that the, they were memories of events from the past, like that they weren't necessarily just imagination slash like from his dreams. Um, he said his plane had crashed on fire and that had been shot by the Japanese. Two weeks after those statements, James said his plane was a Corsair, which was a fighter plane that was developed during World War II, and he talked about flying a Corsair several times. On August 27th, 2000, when James was 28 months old, he told his parents he had flown his plane off a boat. When his parents asked him the name of the boat, he said, Natoma. So they were like, okay. That's an interesting name for a kid to just come up with. Yeah. After that conversation, his father searched online for the word and eventually discovered a description of a USS Toma Bay, an escort carrier stationed in the Pacific during World War II. James' parents asked him a number of times for the name of the little man in his dreams, and he always responded with only me or James. After a few weeks, James gave the word Natoma, his parents asked him if he could remember anyone else who um, was with the little man. And James responded with the name Jack Larson. Mm. So it's like, okay, like now it seems like it seems less of like imagination and playtime and more of like he's giving out evidence. Mm. 
Right. Like, I think that's when it turns is like when he comes up with the word Natoma, mm-hmm. because I mean, it's a little freaky that he's having these nightmares and that the plane is on, he keeps saying the plane's on fire, mm-hmm. but like maybe he was traumatized by something mm-hmm. and that's where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just the word Natoma isn't a word that a kid would know exactly like, offhand. And then now he's giving exact names. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Crazy. One day when James was just over two and a half, his father was looking through a book he was planning on giving to his own father for Christmas. And it was called the Battle of Iwo Jima in 1945. And his father reported that James pointed to a picture showing an aerial view of the island where Mount Suribacha, a dormant volcano, sits and said, that's where my plane was shot down. His father said, what? And James responded, my airplane got shot down there, daddy. It's like, oh my God, what? (laughs) Excuse me? So a week after that, James' father talked to a veteran from Natoma Bay who remembered a pilot named Jack Larson. He said Larson, yeah, flew one day and never returned. So no one knew what happened to him. So his parents are like, oh my God. Wow. With the ongoing nightmares, James' parents eventually contacted Carol Bowman, who had written a book about children's past life memories. And following Bowman's advice, James' mother started acknowledging to him that the events he was describing had indeed happened before while emphasizing that they were in the past and he was now safe. And that was kind of like their process on how to handle everything. Yeah. So his nightmares did eventually subside. And James' parents said that when he became old enough to draw, he drew hundreds of battle scenes involving planes, and he signed them James III. And when his parents asked him about this, he said the three referred not to his age, but his being the third James. And he continued to sign his pictures that way even after he turned four. So, okay. And James may have thought of himself as the third James because James Huston, the pilot, was James Jr. And James's father attended the first Natoma Bay reunion in 2002. So, like, after all of this, he was like, okay, maybe I should investigate a little bit more into this. And that's why he attended that reunion. And he learned that Jack Larson from Natoma Bay had survived the war. So though he was not at the reunion, he was still alive and James' father soon visited him. So he also learned from then that only one pilot from the ship was lost during the Battle of Iwo Jima, a 21-year-old from Pennsylvania named James M. Huston Jr., which is wild. Yeah, and I think that's the first time that we actually get that name. Like, they didn't know who he was until he got that name. Yeah, exactly. So after the reunion, James' father turned his focus to Huston. He learned, like, all about him, right? Because he was like, okay, what happened? He learned that Huston did not actually die on Iwo Jima itself. Instead, as the battle continued after the initial assault. So it looks like his plane appeared to have crashed exactly as James had described. Jack Larson, the one named James gave, is shown as the pilot of the plane next to Huston's. Yeah, that's insane. I saw an image of, I guess they would hand draw out like the lines of planes that would go into attack. Mm-hmm. And you see this dotted line and it says James Huston. And then you see the next line over is Jack Larson. It's like, 
Hoo-hoo. So yeah. they were literally flying right next to each other. Yeah, which is wild for a two, three, four-year-old to just like come up with. Yeah, no. <laughs> so as Huston was the only pilot from Natoma Bay killed during the Iwo Jima operation, and his details closely matched James' statements, and his parents concluded that he was the man whose life James had recalled. Um, James' parents said that he gave other details as well, but no documentation of them exist that was made before Huston was identified. And his mom said that she made notes of his statements, but then like lost them or threw them away because I'm sure they didn't realize the scale that this was going to be. Yeah. So there are some, I was going to say feedback. There are some criticism about the whole story. It's more like, because this is a case study, they're like, the author of this is trying to debunk people's so like people are obviously going to say like oh it was fraud and so he like looked into fraud Mm -hmm. and then they're like oh it was fantasy and he looked into fantasy because by the end he basically is like yeah he was reincarnated (laughs) (laughs) because none of these other things made sense yeah and we'll just like quickly go through like some of the debunking ideas that people had as Shannon mentioned, fraud, but it's really unlikely that the parents had made up the stories as there's like really nothing to gain from this. I mean, again, yeah, sure, they did write a book, but it hardly seemed worth a multi-year fraud to do so. So it's just like, eh, I don't really know if it was necessary. What's the incentive for them? Another idea is fantasy. So with the fantasy explanation, James' apparent memories of the crash would be like from his resolve his imagination perhaps triggered by his visit to the flight museum but it's just weird that the intensity of his behaviors just kept growing and more evidence came out Mm. and yeah kids can have nightmares but it seems unlikely that the flight museum would be designed in such a way to be that traumatic to a child I mean really you're just looking at a plane I think even as a two-year-old I think the concept of even a plane crashing is just so yeah i don't feel like they wouldn't even be able to conceptualize that another one is knowledge acquired through normal means you know was it possible that james learned about Natoma bay and james huston through like just people talking like maybe his parents brought it up but it's he really couldn't have learned it from the people around him because they didn't even know anything about the ship they didn't even know about this person so it just made it very hard for them to pinpoint like, oh, he was just naturally brought up like around these topics. Right. And he couldn't read yet. So he couldn't have picked up a book and read it somewhere. Right. And like looking at a picture, it's like, okay. But again, the evidence of like the names, it's just all too much. Another is sci meditated information transfer. So (laughs) if we accept the evidence that James had knowledge about Huston's life that he did not acquire through normal means, how did he acquire it? One possibility is that he learned about Huston through Psy or Super Psy. So James' parents denied that he showed any other psychic abilities. So that's kind of where I guess the psych meditated stuff comes from, which would suggest that there was a paranormal transfer of information to occur therefore would need something distinct either about Huston's memories or about the connection. So they were like, eh, no, 
it just like didn't make sense and it didn't add up so reincarnation was kind of like the only answer to the stories (laughs) yeah and I thought that was pretty interesting that they even looked at could he just be psychic you know (laughs) right (laughs) like is it reincarnation or is he psychic and under that apparently there's been some research done in these ideas of thought bubbles quote-unquote or a thought pool and maybe when a person dies a thought pool emits from their body and it's not a living entity it's just basically like a pool of information that could attach to a particular person or object and it could be absorbed by somebody very young and would develop memories of the past life and if like if he did they're saying like if he did absorb Huston's memories they might have produced the nightmares and kind of because the way that he was acting was I didn't know this was a thing but there's something called post-traumatic play so when something really traumatizing happens to a little kid you know like kids only have so many ways to cope with things and they'll do post-traumatic play and that you know, that's him being almost like compulsive about playing with the plane and Mm -hmm. crashing it and crashing it and crashing it and having the nightmares. But they basically say like, how could he absorb, (laughs) if you're going to believe in like the thought bubble scenario, why, how could he have a, out of everybody that died in World War II, like how did he get James Huston's thought bubble? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Which I just thought was so interesting. I'm like, could that be a whole other topic in itself? Just these thought bubbles. Yeah. There's a lot of that type of stuff in this, in the research that we did. I'm like, oh, we could do a whole episode on something like that. And I'm thinking back to the memory Mm -hmm. of the Mandela effect. And it's just like, what is going on here? The mind is a powerful thing. It really is. But yeah, I guess they in the case they kind of narrowed it down to reincarnate they almost made it sound like reincarnation is kind of the only explanation Logical. yeah which is super interesting so yeah that concludes james story and as we mentioned earlier it's pretty popular because of his parents they really helped to like share his story it's quite fascinating and just all of those things it's like at what point do you believe it's like a coincidence or not very fascinating Where's your tinfoil hat on it? Honestly, I believe it. I just think it's too... For a two-year-old to come up with those names, to have the story, to have the background, to not be in an environment necessarily where he's being like forced to watch World War II movies all the time and all of this stuff. And the names, even just understanding a Japanese name like Iwo Jima, like what? Like those are just concepts you don't even learn until maybe even high school maybe Mm -hmm. middle school so I think so I think it's true what do you think yeah I I think so I think the part that gets me is how he he's he pinpoint exactly where the plane went down and that like I don't think it's crazy that he was playing with planes or that he was crashing planes oh my god if my kid before I got in a plane if my kid told me plane crash daddy like <laughs> oh I would not want to go on that plane <laughs> oh no and like this is before 9-11 too so yeah it's just like weird especially now you know to think about that yeah but 
I don't think that that's necessarily crazy, but I think the crazy part is when, and the Jack Larson thing. Yeah, yeah, he was just able to, like, name it right away. Came up with a guy who was flying right next to him. And, yeah, I think a lot with these stories from what I saw, the kids end up kind of forgetting what they said or, Mm -hmm. you know, as they grow up. And I think it's kind of, well, I guess, like, it depends on whether you believe in ghosts or not, but it always seems like the younger you are, the more receptive you are to Uh things like this. And as you grow up, it kind of gets lost. Yeah. They always say that kids can are intuitive and can see ghosts or hear ghosts. And I just feel like this kind of falls into the same thing. I don't know if like, as you get older, life kind of crushes down your, (laughs) your other senses, but um, like stressors, like school, homework, friends, family. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I'm not, I don't, don't believe it. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's super interesting. It just opens up like a whole door if you believe in reincarnation because. Yeah, exactly. It, it is a really crazy concept if you do believe in it because it's one of those I don't even know how to describe it but just one of those late night talk if you just go down that rabbit hole it's just like oh my god there's just like yeah. so much to unpack there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Does everybody get reincarnated or do you choose to get reincarnated if you have unfinished business? And then like, <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Insane. Crazy. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed learning about this. I didn't know that story. Mm-hmm. So that's super fascinating. So the next story is the one that I had learned about a few years ago. I think I listened to it on a podcast a few years ago and it shocked me because I also I didn't really know much about reincarnation Mm -hmm. or any stories about it so we are going to jump into this one and it's the Pollock twins so these are English girls who are often referenced as proof of reincarnation their parents John and Florence lived in Hexham England And John was raised Catholic and Florence converted to Catholicism when she married him. And although he was Catholic, John was a strong believer in reincarnation, even like since he was young, since he was the age of nine, he read a book and he got kind of obsessed with reincarnation. Mm -hmm. And he said he used to pray to God for proof of reincarnation so he could prove the priests wrong, which is super interesting. That is really weird. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, Florence did not believe in reincarnation. She was like, no, no, none of this. They had quite a few kids. And the ones that we're going to focus on are two girls. I guess technically four girls, but first two girls. So this is a lot of J names. So try to keep up with me. I'll try to keep it all in check. So Joanna was born in 1946. And she was the third child and the first daughter of John and Florence. In 1951, they the family moved and they had their second daughter, Jacqueline. So we have Joanna and Jacqueline. Joanna is the older, Jacqueline is younger. The parents had their own grocery and milk delivery business. So the girls were raised mostly by their maternal grandmother. The girls were super close to each other. Joanna liked to mother Jacqueline and Jacqueline accepted it. She was like, okay, you can be my mom (laughs) and they both both girls liked combing people's hair especially their fathers 
And Joanna actually had a premonition that she would never grow up, often saying, I will never be a lady. At age three, Jacqueline fell into a bucket, an accident that caused a small gash on her forehead over her right eye near the top of her nose, like the root of her nose. This formed a scar that was slightly depressed and was especially visible in cold weather. Jacqueline also had a roundish dark birthmark on the left side of her waist. So in May of 1957, when Joanna was 11 and Jacqueline was six, they were struck by a car and killed while walking to church with a friend. And the driver, so sad, the driver was a local woman who she had been forcibly separated from her own children. And she decided to commit suicide by driving after taking what she thought were lethal quantities of aspirin and phenobarbitone. Witnesses saw her driving erratically and bearing down on children who could not escape because of a wall on the other side of the sidewalk. So Joanna and Jacqueline were killed instantly. That's so sad. So sad. And obviously their parents were devastated. But Florence tried to avoid thinking about the girl. That was how she was trying to cope, was just to try to keep her mind off of it. Whereas John preferred to keep keep them in his thoughts. And apparently on the day of the accident, he experienced a vision of them in heaven. Then he sensed the presence of their spirits on the top room of the house and took to spending time up there in order to be close to them. He later said that he felt the girl's deaths had been punishment from God for having prayed for proof of reincarnation. But he also felt that his prayer would be answered and the daughters would be reborn into the family. And meanwhile, Florence objected the whole idea and it almost threatened their marriage or it did Mm -hmm. threaten their marriage. It almost ruined their marriage because he was up in the attic thinking these things and telling her that they were going to come back. And she was like, I can't deal with this, understandably. So Florence became pregnant again soon after. And John was convinced that Joanna and Jacqueline were about to reincarnate into the family as twins. And Florence rejected the belief again, and her doctor predicted a single birth based on fetal heartbeat, and there was no history of twins in either of the parents' family. However, in October, on October 4th, 1958, she gave birth to two twin girls, and they named the girls Jillian and Jennifer. And coincidentally, Jennifer had a birthmark that looked like Jacqueline's scar on her forehead. And then a second birthmark in the same place as Jacqueline's birthmark on her waist. Crazy. Yeah, absolutely insane. The psychiatrist that we talked about before, Ian Stevenson, he actually investigated this case in 1963. When the twins were about four years old, he met the family at their home and they interviewed the parents or he interviewed the parents at length and examined the girls for birthmarks. He met them again in 1967 and corresponded with them when the twins were 20. At that point, he had blood tests arranged, but he was trying to get a blood test to see if they were identical or fraternal twins. And it came back that they were identical, born from a single egg. So it wasn't just that they were born after the fact and that they were twins and they weren't supposed to be twins and that they had birthmarks where the other girls had scars and birthmarks. They actually made some pretty, I wanted to say disturbing uh, statements, but interesting statements. 
interesting statements relating to Joanna and Jacqueline. When the twins were about three, the parents brought out toys that belonged to the girls that had passed. And that box had been up in the attic the whole time. Like they didn't have any, they never saw those toys before. And Jillian claimed that the doll that belonged to Joanna, she like automatically was like, this one's mine. And Jennifer claimed one that belonged to Jacqueline. And they both said that they were gifts from Santa Claus, which they had been for the older girls, but they weren't for them. And she was able to name toys the same as what the other deceased sisters had. As we know, like young kids typically fight over toys. And in this case, the two girls perfectly picked out the toys that used to be Joanna's and used to be Jacqueline's. Sometimes the mom would occasionally overhear Jillian and Jennifer discussing the details of the accident. And ooh, this is disturbing. One time she came across Jillian cradling Jennifer's head saying, the blood's coming out of your eyes. That's where the car hit you. Mm, yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Can you imagine walking into the playroom and yeah. you see your kid? Uh, <sighs> yeah, that's a lot for me. <laughs> yeah, it's too much. But the dad recalled that when he had to go identify the bodies, Jacqueline's head had was bandaged over the eyes. So disturbing. And then Jillian once pointed out to Jennifer's forehead birthmark and said, that's the mark Jennifer got when she fell in, on a bucket. So again, she knew that instance. Mm-hmm. Florence had worn a smock while helping John with the milk delivery business, but she put it away when she stopped working after the daughter's deaths. And when the girls were about four and a half, John wore the smock to do some painting. And Jennifer asked him, why are you wearing mommy's coat? And then she became annoyed at Jillian for not recognizing it because Jillian is quote unquote, the older sister. And she was at school and not seeing her mother wearing the garment. When John asked Jennifer how she knew the smock was Florence's, Jennifer said her mother had worn it while delivering milk, even though she had never seen her mom wear it. Mm -hmm. That's so crazy. They moved from Hexham with the twins when, when the twins were about nine months old. And when they were four, they visited the town for the first time. So the girls had never, you know, they were nine months old. Like they weren't going to remember anything. And Jillian and Jennifer said that they wanted to go across the road to the park and the swings, clearly knowing the way. They're like, hey, let's go across the street and go to the park. And they're like, how would you know there's a park here? When the girls complained about the lunch they were having at home, their mother said they could have lunch at school. And they answered, we've done that before, even though they had never done that. Mm -hmm. But Joanna and Jacqueline had done that. In addition to all that, they had some different behaviors as well. So according to the father, the twins discussed the accident between themselves or when they discussed the the accident between themselves, they used the present tense, almost like they were reliving it. They displayed similar personalities, like we said in that bulleted, that numbered list. They displayed behaviors that were similar to those of their deceased sisters. Like they're twins, but Jillian was always more mature than Jennifer and she liked to mother her. And Jennifer, Jennifer was a-okay with that. They looked to their maternal grandfather who had raised Joanna and Jacqueline, basically. Uh, they looked to their maternal grandmother for guidance and love, even though Florence was now entirely around. They also had phobias related to cars. 
And Florence noticed that they would be very careful crossing the street and holding hands, though she admits that it could be related to her own caution. Like, good God, of course you're going to be on yeah. edge if you're crossing the street with your kids after oh, yeah. two of your kids got hit by a car. Like, oh, good God. On one occasion, when a car engine started near them in an enclosed alleyway, John observed the girls cringe in terror and cling to each other, cl- crying, the car, the car, it's coming for us. They also had similar builds, just like in physique. Mm-hmm. Jillian was a little bit more slender, like Joanna, and Jennifer was a little bit more stocky, which max- matched Jacqueline's. And the birthmarks, like we said, matched the girls specifically. And it's crazy because the blood work said that they are identical, but they have these different builds. They have these different birthmarks. Mm. So that shouldn't really happen. So it can't really explain the birthmarks. Yeah. That's such a great point. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, if you are identical, then you guys should have the same thing because you came from the same egg. Right. Right. And this is one of the other topics that I think we could go into on another episode. But apparently there's something called maternal impression. So it's like psychic influence of on the mother of the mother on the unborn child. So he was thinking that maybe Florence, because obviously she was in distress when she was pregnant with them. Mm-hmm. Maybe she imprinted on them the impression of the other girls' personalities and the other girls, how they died and all of that. But he Stevenson thinks that these are too specific. She couldn't have, it doesn't work that well. Yeah. <laughs> you can yeah. imprint somebody's personality. It's so funny hearing you say the word imprint because I'm immediately thrown to Twilight and Jacob <laughs> imprinting on Renesme. Oh my God. Wow. You really pulled that name right out of your head. I know. I really, I don't know why. It was just like on the top of my head, which I really do have a problem with. And I'd like to go on a little mini rant actually. Okay. Okay, can we just talk about the fact that imprinting in Twilight, because he was a werewolf, the whole point of it was to make sure that the werewolf genes still survived, right? Like, it's essentially just a way to keep them going. But vampires are the opposite thing. Like, that's the thing that's going to kill them. So why would he imprint on, like, a half, well, I guess she was technically, yeah, half human, half vampire. That makes no sense. Like, that goes against the whole point of being a werewolf. It's true. It's true evolutionarily it doesn't make sense (laughs) exactly so i just have to take that one up um on stephanie myers i feel like she really think that out unless they can have kids and then their kids will be superior because they're half the enemy is that the goal i don't know i know because then they're like double strong yeah but then it's like weird because it's like they're repulsed by each other that's true yeah i don't know alina i don't know i don't know i think about (laughs) So like we mentioned before, as the kids that go through these experiences, as they grow older, they tend to forget the past life memories. And they went on, the twins went on to live normal lives. And when he met with them, when Stevenson met with them in their 20s, they said they remembered like nothing about the memories, but they accepted their parents' belief that they were the elder sisters, their elder sisters reincarnated but they showed some mild skepticism about reincarnation generally. But Jillian experienced some inner visions, apparently, in which she saw herself playing in a sand pit with her brothers. And she perfectly re- described the house, garden, lawns, and orchards that matched the house the family had lived in when 
they weren't alive. Mm -hmm. Like the house that she never grew up in. So that's kind of like the story in a nutshell of the Pollock twins. And there's obvious criticisms and alternative explanations for it. And we'll just go over that real quick. So some people think that the case is a little weak because the only, the statements only come basically from the parents who, one of whom is like super into reincarnation. And I have to say like, that's my biggest thing mm-hmm. is because this, the father was obsessed with reincarnation since the age of nine. And so, okay, he's obviously not unbiased towards it. Yeah, and I guess compared to the other story, there was no situation where they could really fact check beyond like the family stories, you know, like right. at least with the other one, like saying the other pilot's name. It's like, oh, wow, like if you researched that person did exist in that same thread, because they're all in the same family, they could have inadvertently told the twins about like, I'm sure they talked about yeah. the older girls and mm-hmm. gave stories. And he also writes that she must have played, the mother must have over and over and over in her head during the pregnancy, after the pregnancy, replayed the events of her earlier daughter's life and death. The other thing is they claim that they didn't talk about the other girls or they didn't talk about specific, like specifics about the car crash and stuff. But even if they didn't, other people could have around the girls unknowingly. Mm-hmm. Or other family members could have. And I like, look, they don't mention that there are brothers here too in the story. So you don't know, like they could all be playing off in the, in the backyard or something. And mm-hmm. the brothers could be telling them like, oh, well, Joanna was like this. And Jacqueline was like this. But the one thing that they keep coming back to is kind of like the birthmarks. And they can't really explain those. Like, those don't really make any sense. And Stevenson found that of 895 cases in his collection, 35% involved birthmarks or birth defects. That's a good chunk of people. Yeah. I guess when you look at the father's belief in reincarnation, it's kind of like my initial gut reaction is, ooh, that means he's kind of not guilty, but he's, it doesn't look good. Yeah, for the yeah. case. Mm-hmm. But some other people have noted that, and I think he notes himself that basically, if he didn't believe in reincarnation, we wouldn't have known the story, right? So just like passed it off, but because right. he was already thinking about it, he brought it up to people's attention. So he's like, the fact that you're even talking about our case is because I believed in reincarnation, so you wouldn't know, and so many families. This happens to so many families, but we don't know about or we don't think over and over again about reincarnation. So whatever your kid says, you just kind of dismiss it. Right. And at least Stevenson. So the guy, the psychiatrist, he kind of ended the case with, yeah, they're reincarnated. He said there's a lot of strong evidence in favor of reincarnation. Mm -hmm. So there might be a little bit more hiccups than the James story, but they definitely the I guess expert believes in it Mm -hmm. how about you you know for the most part I think I do believe in it I think a little less than the James story but I even with the father like I get it it is interesting to think about they did lose two girls and then they happen to have like twin girls it kind of seems like a full circle moment yeah and if you don't believe in like reincarnation um the birthmarks is like kind of 
what pulls me in a little bit more, but their behavior in some of it, I feel like there's one twin that is more of the mature one and then like another that isn't. So it doesn't like blow me away, but I, I could see it though. I could, you know, I can rock with it. What about you? Yeah, same. I think it's interesting that they picked out the exact same toys without any prompting. Mm-hmm. And I do think that, that some of the things could be explained by different family members just talking about the other girls. But really, if you don't have twins in your family at all, it's kind of wild to have twins. Yeah. Especially if you you heard one heartbeat in the beginning. Well, right, right. Crazy. And I don't really know how I believe, like how I feel about the father because part of me is like, e. You are right. kind of too into this. But then also I think about like the poor man, obviously. And mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. when he, you know, he feels so much guilt for praying for reincarnation and then his daughters die and then he has all of this guilt and then he gets right. two new daughters and he's like, well, it's a sign from God. You know, it's kind of mixing mm-hmm. the two, re- the two different religions yeah. there. Yeah. But yeah, I guess like you, I think I'm in coronation mode for Mm -hmm. this one whereas James may have been more on my head I guess yeah yeah I agree with you that concludes our episode on reincarnation we hope you found it really fascinating I think just the stories that we talked about today is just very very interesting it's like a lot of food for thought you know whether it's based on your own beliefs of the concept itself what do you make of these stories are you skeptic do you believe in it we would love to know so let us know actually on our instagram when we post at bare roots pod b-a-r-e we'd love to hear your thoughts but yeah this concludes today's episode again we hope you guys enjoyed and we will see you next week bye bye Joanna was born. Well, this is also a lot of J names. So <laughs> this is like the Duggars. Oh my god, you cannot bring up the Duggars. Did I you? know? I know. It's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> but we digress. Yeah. <laughs>